1: Before we get to today's episode, we want to introduce you to our newest partner, which, like us, is Pure South Florida. That's Dural Toyota, where you can find all of your favorite Toyota models, whether you're looking for a new, used, or certified pre-owned vehicle. Doral Toyota is located at 9775 Northwest 12th Street. That's 9775 Northwest 12th Street, just a few blocks from International and Dolphin Malls. Experience the Doral difference, which means four years of complimentary maintenance and roadside assistance on all new vehicles. Also, in-house financing is available for credit related issues. If you mention five reasons when you call 305-680-1129, that's 305-680-1129, or stop into the dealership, you work with a dedicated manager, not a salesman. Unlike other dealers, Doral Toyota prides itself on an honest and transparent buying process. That's Doral Toyota, DoralToyota.com, or stop in at 9775 Northwest 12th Street. Vamos, let's go.
2: Football season is upon us, and that means it is time to start previewing the Miami Dolphins heading into the 2018 season. And we're going to do so, Ethan, in a three part series. By talking to each of the beat writers from the various newspapers in South Florida, we'll talk to the Herald guys, talk to the Post guys. But right now, we're talking to the Sun-Sentinel, Miami Dolphins reporters, Omar Kelly and Chris Perkins. Kind enough to join us here on the Five Reasons podcast. Omar, Perk, thanks for doing it.
3: Hey, thanks for having us, man. Looking forward to this.
2: We wanted to kinda of start by obviously we're having the all the newspapers on the podcast, so we kinda of wanted to get into the dynamics between all of you. So Omar, we'll start with you. What's it like working with Perkin and working this beat? <laughs> Perkins,
0: as everybody who knows Chris Perkins, he's very laid back, very cool, and nothing really bothers Perk. We we have a lot of competition where the goal of the competition is to have Perkins say, you whoever it is And you get him irritated enough to the point where he curses somebody out. And, you know, we keep tally.
2: Perk, how often does that happen?
0: Well, you know, how I have it is
3: usually the, the target of it. Because, you know me, I, I'll just go off on some nonsensical rant and then somebody brings logic into it and I get frustrated. And so I, I just drop a, you know, f***ing <laughs> or whatever. So, yeah, that's pretty much usually the way it goes. <laughs> now,
1: now, you never did that to us. Because uh, just for listeners who aren't aware, uh, Chris Perkins was, was in with Chris Winningham and I for – about a full year, actually, on 790 yeah. The Ticket. And we never drove you to the f*** <laughs> you, Juice, f*** <laughs> you, <crisp laughs> So I, no, So, obviously, no, obviously I'm we that. did something no. wrong. <laughs> yeah. You know what? It's, it's different crowds, man. Different
3: people know how to push my button. So, that's the, that's the button that gets pushed at the Dolphins of most often.
0: Here's my biggest gripe with Perk. Perk, when we go on the road, you know how everybody the and do things. I'm a night guy. But Perk gets in there at noon and he's got to watch his college football and he's been drinking since noon and (laughs) by the time it's evening and I'm like ready to go out. Perk is drunk and ready to go to bed. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, I'm a good good Texan. The day starts at
3: (laughs) noon Saturday of the road game, even Saturday that, Oh, you gotta watch college football. And uh, you know, I'm a Texan that involves a couple of beers and, yeah, after you watch four games, you know,
0: that's just the way it goes. What am I going to say? The night, the night is just getting started for me, baby.
2: Perk <laughs> is down for the count by the time the Stanford game starts. <laughs> <laughs> that's right.
0: yeah, I, don't,
3: I don't see a whole lot of West Coast college football on the road. <laughs> well,
2: uh, so, so what for you guys is the best city to travel to? Perk, we'll start with you.
3: Oh, man. Well, you know what? New York. Uh, but you got to you gotta kind of take New York out of the equation, don't you? Like That's pretty much going to be everybody's favorite city. I love the Bay Area, man. The Bay Area and D.C. are, are very close. But, yeah, San Francisco, Oakland, it's got everything. If you, if you like food, if you like wine, if you like sports, if you like academia, if you like music,
0: it, it's got something for everybody, man. I, I love the Bay Area.
2: Omar, best NFL city you like covering away games at?
0: I'm going to have to have New Orleans high on my list. <laughs> California, they've been they were really ramming California down my throat. I just can't get it. I can't feel the vibe. And and honestly, I'm going to miss San Diego. So Mm. I would have to rank San Diego number one because you get everything. You get flavor. You get debauchery. You get great food. You get the water. You get cool weather. So San Diego, unfortunately, is rest in
1: peace. R.I.P. San Diego. Ethan, what was it for you? Well, I got to say this. Uh, I actually had a good time one night with Omar out in Buffalo, which I, I don't think that that. Oh, is really yeah. possible. That's, you, that? you
0: were part of the one great Buffalo trip that I've had.
1: That's the one. That's I think you, you me, and Donovan Campbell, from what I recall, actually. Yes. What I, I, there was
0: one great Buffalo trip, which is why I'm always lobbying for the Dolphins to get it in September when the college kids come back and you know the streets are people are partying. And I'm like, man, that was a, that was the one great Buffalo memory I have, and unfortunately, we have not been able to replicate that.
1: No, because you keep <laughs> going back in September or in, in November and December. I mean, for me, city-wise, uh, I, I'm I'm with Perk. I love the Bay Area, but for me, actually, for NBA, it's Toronto. I oh, love yeah. it, and, and Perk and I, I think, have had a good time there. Actually, there's some stories from Damn. New Orleans with Perk <laughs> that I'm not going to tell on this particular podcast. <laughs> Uh, that involved the lobby of the Marriott, which, uh, we'll, we'll just, we'll just, we'll just leave that one right there. Actually. But,
0: uh, but. Well, hold on. What sport are y'all covering NBA or NFL? Cause I might be able to guess what happened.
1: Uh, it was, it was NBA. With it, was NBA. Yeah. it was NFL with you, but it, oh.
0: was, it was, it was NBA. Well, hold, hold on. Was it was it the team hotel or just
2: the regular media? No, hotel? No, no, this was the regular hotel. media
1: hotel, and it's just stuff that, that lives in infamy, infamy with, uh, with 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 perk. See, <laughs> I, I
2: can't I can't wait until like twenty years from now when we do like the, the 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 perk is just retired from the Sun Sentinel, and now the 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 statute of limitations <laughs> has expired on all these stories that relates to employment, and we can really let loose with perk. I'm so excited for Listen, that.
0: One of my favorite lines from perk on an evening out where he wasn't too, you know, he, he wasn't over over the line.
2: Inebriated. And he had
0: some energy. Yeah. He <laughs> was, I forget where we were, we were at a club. I think it might have been Cleveland. And I had my eyes, this is in my single days, I had my eyes on a young lady and Perkins says to me, well, she's nice, but show me her mama. <laughs>
1: <laughs> y'all, y'all know i love know. older women now just... oh man now you're invited that, perk now you're in my me of favorite Dallas, perk
0: line.
1: perk now you're yeah. me of Dallas and i'm not that nba finals 2006 and i'm just gonna you leave are. that one alone too so we'll <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey,
3: hey. <laughs> hey and I, i'll tell y'all i'll get back to why me and omar worked so well together and this was, this was clearly defined. It was the day that uh, we walk out of a, a meeting in the auditorium with Gates or whoever it is. And so there's this guy standing across the street from the Dolphin holding a cardboard sign begging for employment. I ran toward him. Omar ran away from him. That's why we worked so well together. I, I love the nonsense. And it was a nonsensical story. This, this guy actually played a video He was with a BB. But Omar wanted nothing to do with that. And that's just the type of story that I love. So yeah, it turned out to be a pretty funny story. But yeah, that's that's why we work so well together.
1: Perk, you actually brought that guy on our radio show. You don't remember? And then I and then I, I, I got and then I got confused about what position he played at Michigan State. and I kept calling him a receiver. I think what was he? was Right, he was a, DD, right? he was I a DB. It, it, I, it,
0: I kept calling it, him a receiver. It, 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 it didn't matter because he really didn't play, so it's all good.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Fantastic. This is brilliant. Let's actually let's get to the football now. And so what we're going to do for each of our previews is kind of tackle three big questions. We're going to kind of divvy all the big position groups and storylines so we're not talking about all the same stuff. So we want to begin, guys, is with Adam Gase. And I feel like he's a really interesting kind of conversation point because the Dolphins have had a lot of turnover at head coach. They've had a lot of turnover just about everywhere but at head coach in particular. And I kind of wonder where he is at, because obviously when you make the playoffs with this franchise, you're theoretically supposed to be golden. But last year was such a disaster that I'm kind of curious where he's at now. So I'll start with you, Perk. Where do you feel like his sort of position within the franchise, within the league, and sort of in a more broad sense is with Adam Gase?
3: Pivotal year for Adam GaSe because he's he's got to show that he can win. But this is a guy who was ten and six his first year, six and ten last year. So now he's basically a five hundred coach, and so he's almost starting from ground zero from that standpoint. I'm not sure what we've seen from Adam GaSe that uh, really is is uh, reassuring in the last two years. The one thing I think that he's got to be able to do is let his talent. Decide what kind of system he's going to run. And I know Adam Gates is frustrated. He hasn't run his offense. Jay Ajayi emerges in, in 2016. And, and you know, you guys know Gates wants a, a passing offense. They become a running team in 2016. Last year, Ryan Tannehill gets injured. So he hasn't run his offense yet. For whatever reason, if Kenyon Drake is outstanding this year, you've got to go to a running offense. So I want to see if his ego can be held in check and he can allow the talent to take over and not force his system. That, I think, is going to be the number one thing toward winning. Do not force a passing game. And to me, the second thing with Adam Gase and, and his standing is his personnel decisions. When you look at he wanted Jay Cutler and he wanted uh, Julius Thomas, and he was the guy you know who had Chris Furster on his staff and Lawrence Timmons and Ray Malaluga, his judgment has to be called into question because of last year, the first year, you cut the four offensive linemen, you go to the playoffs, you're thinking Adam Gates knows what he's doing. Again, now we're at ground zero. So to me, you know, Adam Gates has got to win, but he's got to show that his ego won't get in the way with the offense, and he's got to show that his personnel decisions are solid.
0: From my standpoint, if you look at what Adam Gates accomplished in his first year, if I tell you I'm going to take a rookie head coach whose team is going to endure a ton of injuries, losing two of their top five players in Mike Pouncey and Rashad Jones for most of the season, amongst others, without a starting quarterback who doesn't play the final month of the season and still get to the playoffs, I would say, man, sign me up for that. I mean, if I tell Dolphins fans, hey, you're going to lose two of your top five players, you're going to lose your starting quarterback for a month, and your team is still going to make the playoffs, would you sign up for that right now in 2018? I guarantee you everybody would. Now, the question is, can he do that consistently? I don't know the answer to that question, but to me, it ends and starts with his offense. This is his third year in the system. He's finally got his quarterback back. He's got the running back who can do everything that he wants in the backfield, and two of them in Kenyon Drake, and Frank Gore. Now, if you can't produce an offense that's out of the bottom 10, and let's set the bar high and say a top 16 offense in the NFL in your third year when you're supposed to be this quarterback whisperer, when you're supposed to be an offensive guru, something is wrong. When you have fortified your offensive line, when you have drafted two tight ends, something is wrong. And I'm not saying that I love the talent that's on this team. I'm just saying same thing that Brian Billick once preached. What gets you hired will get you fired. And Adam Gates was hired to produce a better offense and a better quarterback,
1: and we need to see it. To me, it is about the offense for him. And what it's about for me is that what he did this offseason was he allowed himself to put his system on the field, to go multiple. And now he's got a team. We can talk about Landry, and I know we'll get into that a little bit. But he has a team that can game plan for a particular opponent because he has enough different types of weapons to do it. And he has a team that I think can adjust in-game, which is something that I think he needs to get better at. So uh, to me, that's why this is a tell year for him because I didn't feel like they had the personnel. And I go all the way back to early Belichick in New England. And even that first team in New England, before we knew what Brady would become when Bledsoe was still the quarterback, the thing about that team was Belichick had a lot of sort of moving parts. He didn't have anything great, but he had a lot of different ways that he could scheme for a particular opponent. And it was the same on defense also. And I don't feel like the Dolphins have had the depth over the past couple of years, particularly when they got hit with some injuries. To do that, so to me, I'm with Perk on this. He's starting clean with me. I liked a lot of what happened the first year in terms of sort of cutting the three offensive linemen, telling Jay Ajayi not to come with him on the trip. I mean, a lot of the things that I thought he did the first year, he was trying to establish a program. I thought last year the decision to bring in Cutler clearly was a bad one, an organizational decision. But I know he had a big hand in that, so I'm not going to let him off the hook for that. But Jay Cutler was not a starting quarterback in this league at this point. And so it's really hard for me to evaluate what happened last season when you look at two or three games last year that if you just had competent quarterback play, I'm not talking about top 10 quarterback play. I'm just talking about somewhere between 11 and 20, which is where I think Ryan Tannehill is. I think they win three more games last season. And so I think we're looking at an eight or nine win team instead of a six win team. So to me, the ability to go multiple guys, which he has not been able to do, is why I think there's a chance this year for us to finally see the Gase offense
2: for me the other element of this too is that I and, and Perk mentioned this the personnel element of this where he's taken over the roster in some respects and gotten rid of the guys that he feel like didn't hit fit his way of playing and so now as we kind of look ahead to this season this feels like he sort of feels like this is his team and thus he has to kind of produced with this team because a lot of people view it as among the worst rosters in the league, and yet he's kind of responsible in large part for why it looks that way. So, Omar, when you look at the way that the personnel decisions have changed in this offseason, how much of that do you think Adam Gase is behind?
0: Oh, I think he's behind a lot of it, not all of it. I know he was against a couple of the moves and I know he wanted it and worked hard to get Landry back. He you know, but business wise it didn't make sense to the organization. The Mike Pouncey move, I know he wasn't a fan of that one, but he stood by the organization and supported it because it's going to move them forward. Now, you know, the question to me is, was he on board or not on board with getting rid of Indomitian's suit? Because that's a huge defensive piece. And I know Indomitian is a lot of things. He's definitely not a leader. He tried, but he's definitely not a leader. hes He's a mercenary. But you just don't banish good players. And I think they did a lot of that. You could put this whole, oh, this is more my team, more my culture, more my type of guys, more leaders. All you've done is added age veterans to your team after you've gotten rid of stars. And now you're telling the fan base, we're not more talented, but we're going to be better. And Dolphin fans, with their history of mediocrity, are just supposed to accept that, like, yeah, okay, all right, we believe you. And I just think it's it's hard to sell.
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you this. It, it, you know, it occurs to me that this team, this roster, the construction, it does have Adam Gates' fingerprints all over it. I agree with Omar. You can't say that this is totally Gase's team and, and this is everything that he wants because I, I agree on the Indominus Sioux thing. However, I will say this, that this is the best Adam Gates roster that we've seen in three years, meaning – It is diverse and it is multiple, but again, let's see with his ego that if Kenyon Drake takes over, or if you start winning in a way that you didn't expect, are you going to let the winning continue or are you going to try to force your offense down this team's throat? I, you know, this isn't a Super Bowl winning team. Nobody thinks that the goal of this team is to get into the playoffs. So to me, You get there any way that you have to offensively. And I I really wonder if Adam Gates can keep his offensive ego in check. And if his offense led by Ryan Tannehill's right arm works, so be it. But if this offense is led by Kenyon Drake's legs, is he going to let that continue?
1: Yeah. I mean, to me, Perk, you know, this is the thing about it. I'm with you that two years ago he went with Ajayi because it was working. I'm not really that concerned that he would go against something that's working. Like, I I know we talk a lot about his ego, and I want to delve into that with you guys a little bit more here because you cover him every day. You kind of know what he's about, not just in front of the camera. But when he's not in front of the camera, I mean, all the coaches that I've covered over the years, they really are in a lot of ways two different people. They're the ones that the public see, and there's the ones that deal with you privately. Jimmy was kind of the same either way, but you know, Nick Saban was kind of a d- both ways. You know, it just depends on the guy. <laughs> but but, but I, I just wanted to get into the personality of him because I think that plays into the strategy with him. So, Perk, you have a concern that his ego is going to get in the way. Where does that ego well, come from? Because, I mean, he, he's been a head coach for two years. As you said, he's a 500 coach at this point. He's, he was given the stamp of approval by Papa John's salesman Peyton Manning. But other <laughs> other than that, like, wh- where does the ego come from? And I'm wondering, Omar, because you've covered a bunch of coaches there from Philbin to Sperano, et cetera. How strong is that ego, and does it get in the way of him doing things?
3: Well, I, I'll tell you this. You, you go back to what Omar said, quoting Brian Billick, the same thing that got you hired will get you fired. If this guy does not get his offensive system in there, he is a passing guru, a quarterback whisperer, like Omar said. If he goes three years and we don't see that often, is he comfortable winning with a running game in, in two of those years? Say they have another 10 and 6 season this year. Is he comfortable with that as his identity, as his offensive identity? Is he, That's a big battle to me. That is what Adam <laughs> Gates does. So it's not a battle.
0: He'll tell you, I'm not comfortable running the ball. That's something that he has not even been shy about telling. We've known it privately. He'll tell you publicly. He said at the owner's meeting, like, that's not what I want to do. That's not my offense. And yeah, he's got to build an offense around whatever makes him comfortable. Hell, he wasn't comfortable with J.H.I., which is why he got traded. You know, mm-hmm. he's not comfortable running the ball. And both me and Perr believe that is their best team. Mm-hmm. You, I can't sit here and say, your best chances to win is to put the ball in Ryan Tannehill's hands and, and predicated your success on his decisions. Now, Adam Gates is trying to prove to the world, including South Florida, including Dolphin fans, and most importantly, the media, that he knows what the hell he's doing and that he's right. And that's where it comes from. That internal arrogance, which I love, by the way, I get it, I understand it, it matches him, and it matches his team. Think about how he coaches his team. It's an aggressive team, and I love that personality. He's going to go down swinging. Like, I've talked to him. He's like, I'll never give up play calling. I'm doing this job so that I can call the play. So he's never going to change who he is, and I don't encourage him to change who he is. So is he going to buy into a running game, leads to his team success? I think he will because he bought into it during the JHI year in 2016. The question is, will he ever stop trying to create this passing offense that he knows he can do? I don't think he will.
2: Is the reason why he's stubborn about it his background? Why would you say is the reason why he doesn't want that to change about him?
0: Internal confidence bordering on arrogance. In his mind, he knows he can do it. I remember one time I was was talking to him on the sidelines and we were just talking and he was just like, look it up. Every guy that I've been with offensively, they had their best year with me. Every guy. And I did look it up. And there are only two exceptions to that. Matt Forte and Martellus Bennett. Some way or another, you could put it at yards, you could put it touchdowns, you could put it receptions. They had their biggest years with him. And that drives him. And he, without a question wants that to be the case for Kenyon Drake, wants that to be the case for Devontae Parker, wants that to be the case for Kenny Stills, and it will continue to drive him.
1: Omar, to that point, though, again, how many coaches have you covered with the Dolphins at this point? Your first year was um, what? Cam Cameron.
0: Okay. okay. <laughs> I uh, yeah. I blame, listen, I blame you, Ethan. For Cam Cameron's foolishness, the fail forward fast. Mm -hmm. You thought it was so genius and wrote a big old column. I did. I did. And it came from (laughs) you
1: made him think he was smart. I, I, did, I, did, I, did, I did, Omar, but, but I will say this. By the way, Omar and I joined Twitter on exactly the same day. So if you want to blame anybody for Omar's Twitter account, blame me. We did it within minutes of each other at the Sun Sentinel offices. But See, um, Omar – and, um, and 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 just like everything else, I fought them on that too. Oh like, don't to do this? Oh, <laughs> my God. Oh, my God. You were like, what is – Yeah, people don't realize that. As active as Omar is right now, I remember that day at the Sun Sentinel offices. What used to be the – that's like two Sun Sentinel offices ago, by the way. <laughs> yeah. That, that was the nice one. <laughs> not solace. but i remember that day distinctly because you were like not having it like this guy had come in they brought in this social media expert to show us like
3: the power of twitter twitter hey, will run like, the world these soccer a- moms
0: will run the world and he- i'm looking at them <laughs> like what the hell are y'all talking
1: about? Yeah, you you were looking at me like we're not doing this and like we set up the accounts the exact same day. So so again, I'm partially responsible for that. But I also and, and really, keep I, in mind, they forced us to set up those accounts. Oh, I know, I know, I know, I know. And, but, and, but I, and they literally took our phones and put them on <laughs> our phones. That's exactly right. That's exactly but, but, <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I will tell you that year I actually did write a column about how Cam Cameron should give up the play calling responsibilities because it was too much for him. And he actually called me at the Sentinel office to discuss it because I got all these other offensive coordinators who he respected saying, yeah, it's not a good idea. Like just break it up. You need to run the team first. And he, he called me and he wasn't really fighting it because like the people I spoke to were people he respected. He's like, well, we'll see at the end of the season. Well, they were one in 15. Anyway, so let's go back to uh, <laughs> let's go back to this. So you, your first coach was Cam Cameron, then Sperano, then Philbin, Dan Campbell. Right. And and then we've got don't don't forget Todd Bowles. Oh, Todd Bowles. Right, five yeah. games. Right. Something like that. OK, yeah. so. All right. So in terms of confidence, in terms of arrogance, you said confidence bordering around arrogance. Yes. where is Gaze? is he that first is
0: exactly how i would describe adam gates and is he first um, no. on that list no jimmy johnson would be first Because remember i did an internship covering oh. Jimmy johnson whose personality is as close to adam gates if you saw the unfiltered adam gates you'd see jimmy johnson from the fan base's perspective i love his confidence you know he needs to play mind games a little bit better like jimmy did and mm-hmm. i think that that would sort of push him into that realm. I mean obviously he needs the success that you know Jimmy had, which you know, ten and six for five years would get Adam Gaze one of the five highest paid contracts in the NFL. So right. I don't think Dolphin fans should probably poo poo what Jimmy Johnson did. But he would be right under there, right under Jimmy Johnson. But definitely okay. ahead of Tony Sperano. Intelligence, ahead of all of them except for Jimmy Johnson. Cam Cameron thought he was smart, but i probably list him as the dumbest of them all. Leadership I would put him behind Jimmy Johnson and Tony Sperano. Tony Sperano had a way. It was us against them. Right. And it didn't matter who the them was. The them could be the media. Tony Sperano had a way of making that team. Remember when they were fighting back mm-hmm. and they were winning and then they lost to Philadelphia while they lost Jake Long and they lost their left tackle. And they, they like had a center playing tackle mm-hmm. and they, they, they couldn't protect the quarterback. and, the management looked at that like mm, that one loss, we gotta get him out of here and put into our bowl. Mm-hmm. Because I do believe that team would have won the rest of their games and produced a respectable season. And then it would have been hard to fire Tony Sperano. So they jumped on the opportunity. But it was Tony's leadership, which is basically he turned that team into us against the Dolphins fan base. Mm-hmm. Us against the Dolphins ownership. Us against the us against everybody. And they really rallied around that thing. So leadership, I'd have to put him behind Tony Sperano.
2: This is the 5 Reason Sports Network. Sports by Miami, for Miami, on demand. We now have 10 podcasts in the network, posting roughly 15 times per week. All can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and several cross-platform apps. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Here's some of what you missed last week on the fish tank when they interviewed Mike Pouncey.
3: You know, every single day when I came to work, I was the best football player I could be. And I felt like I made guys better around me. And I love the organization. I mean, I, we didn't win as much as we should have, but I love being a Miami Dolphin. I, I love the fact of saying, hey, listen, I'm a Dolphin.
2: If you want to get involved as a sponsor or a contributor, reach out to us at number 5 sports on Twitter. And don't forget to punch Five Reasons in your search bar and then hit subscribe. I want to move on now to the next portion of our conversation here today. And one of the things that we talked about was all the different personnel moves that the Dolphins made. Now, the biggest on offense was Jarvis Landry, but I want to get to the biggest one on defense, and that's Endomic and Sue leaving the Miami Dolphins. He eventually joins the Los Angeles Rams. And for you, Omar, how big of a loss is it to this defense?
0: I think it's a huge loss because he's a difficult player to replace. I would say maybe five defensive tackles in the NFL can do what Ndamukong Sue did. People expecting Akeem Spence, who's a career journeyman, or you already got Jordan Phillips. But, but to those expecting Akeem Spence or Jordan Phillips or Vincent Taylor to step up and do what Ndamukong Sue did, playing next to Davin Godchild, that's kind of unrealistic. So a lot more is being put on the shoulders of that player or those players. And I'm not sure they're going to be ready to handle that load. So, and here's the problem. Here's the biggest problem about that shortcoming of this defense. Bad defensive tackle play puts pressure on who gentlemen?
2: Linebackers and safeties.
0: Okay. And which area on the team would you gentlemen say is the biggest mystery concern, lack of depth, problematic area?
2: Definitely linebacker.
0: And put pressure on your biggest concern. That's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, I, I think that the, the big thing here is going to be
3: if Matt Burke can get design a system around his talent, because, yeah, I clearly that run defense, but, yeah, can you devise a system that takes advantage of your linebackers? Well, your defensive tackles at, at first, and I... And quite honestly, I'm not exactly sure what those defensive tackles do well among Jordan Phillips and, and Vincent Taylor and Devon Godshaw and Akeem Spence. And that's not a knock on them. It's just, you know, are you a good run stopper or, or are you a good pass rusher? Um, can you take a double team? We saw Godshaw do that a little bit. But whatever those guys do, can Matt Burke design a system that accentuates their talent, that plays to their strengths, and can these linebackers, I agree with Omar, let's face it, can they overachieve? Because you're going to be starting basically two inexperienced linebackers alongside Kiko Alonso when you consider Raekwon McMillan, who's basically a rookie because he got injured last year, his rookie year. And then whoever else starts, I mean, whether, I, I guess if, if you have Stephon um, Anthony, he's fairly experienced. But, you know, if you have Chase Allen or, or, Jerome Baker in there, the third-round pick from Ohio State, whoever, you're going to be playing basically two guys at linebacker who aren't used to being starters. So, yeah, if if Matt Burt can devise a system that that plays to their strengths Maybe you can cover for Indominus Sue, but if you try to run the same... Saving money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have
2: everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com. For more Great Deals. Save big
3: money at the Same defense that you ran ran last year with Sue in there. I I think you're going to have major problems this year.
1: Let me ask you this, guys, uh, because, you know, like you said, they, they haven't really replaced Sue with a veteran defensive tackle, which, which or you know, a really quality one, which is what I was kind of expecting they might try to do because they did patch in a number of different areas. Like you look at receiver, and Chris has talked about this a lot on the pod, they kind of went two for one, right? Like they, you know, they bring in mm-hmm. Amendola yeah, well. and, and Albert Wilson, uh, you know, for the price of Landry, and they did that in some other areas too. They, they didn't really do it there. They did bring Robert Quinn in on the outside which may allow William William Hayes to play more inside. So is that you think a direction that they would go where, where we see Hayes? Because I know Hayes got a lot of snaps inside already, and I thought he did a really nice job for them before he got hurt last year. Is that where you think they'll head with this? Because they, they, they're not, they don't have one guy on the roster. I don't care how good a couple of the kids look like they may become. They're not going to be in Dominican Sioux this season.
0: I definitely yeah. think they're going to be putting William Hayes inside, yeah, and, and rotating those other defensive tackles. But William Hayes is going to be probably the third down guy, if not work a couple first downs uh, as an end.
3: Yeah, how how William Hayes performs on, on those third-down situations, I, I would imagine that he's mostly going to be inside on, on passing situations. But who knows? He might be there a lot on first downs. But hopefully this defense does not regress to the days where they couldn't stop the run. And that's that's what I'm seeing potentially happening here with and Sue being out. And clearly, if that happens, now you're looking at shorter time of possession. You're looking at a, a, a more tired defense. You're looking at, you know, what are you going to do with T.J. With McDonald and Minka Fitzpatrick and Rashad Jones? Uh, do you have to play them up at the line of scrimmage all the time? Do you have to play that eight-man front? So, again, it's up to Matt Burke to look at his talent and figure out, okay, we don't have Sue. How do we play to each player's strength? And, and look, we know Adam Gates doesn't do much with the defense. This is pretty much all on Matt Burke when you talk about replacing Ndamukong Sue.
2: One of the players that I wanted to talk about as it relates to replacing Dominic and Sue is, and Omar, you kind of mentioned it, Akeem Spence is going to play with Devon Gottschow, as if he is sort of the established, clear number one starter, which he is. But he was still a fifth-round pick last year, and the fact that in his second season he's already being relied upon to this level, what did you make of his rookie year, Omar?
0: I think he had a decent rookie year. You know, he still didn't produce any sacks. Let's not pretend like they were one of the top teams in terms of run-stopping performance. I judge and value players based on how many impact plays have you made during the season that contributed to wins. And i probably put, if you're in the five realm, you're a very good player. Hell, Kiko Alonso contributed five plays, you know, four fumbles, a sack. You have to contribute five plays that that help you produce wins. And, gee, Davin Gatchow, he might have had one. And to me, that's okay. But, hell, Jordan Phillips had, like, three. So I'm not going to sit here and, and praise him and say, oh, he's the answer to Miami's prayers. Hell, he was playing next to Dominican Sue. How come you didn't win more? You're getting tackles is cool, but let's not pretend like you were you know, one of the top-run stuffing teams in the NFL. So it's okay. It, it, it's probably kind of about like the whole draft class, average.
1: Omar, how important, and I'll throw this at Perk too, how important is that position generally? To me, the issue with the Sue signing initially was – that you were investing so much money in a position that didn't have the impact that it had in years past because a teams are more spread these days. Uh, There's less going on in the middle to start with. And also it's more difficult to get pressure up the middle than it used to be. And to that point, because of all the short drops, I mean, you've got quarterbacks taking three yard drops and getting the ball out right away. It's not, you know, Dan Marino's seven step drop, right. And gun it down, even with a release like Marino's where there's never been one like that in history. At least he was holding the ball a little bit longer. These guys, it's just out. Like it's just part of the scheme. So was this essentially an admission, by the front office this offseason that it wasn't necessarily sue a player who I think we all agree was a very good player for the Dolphins or sue a leader, which we all agree is not really in his makeup as much as Omar said, you say he tried. It wasn't in his makeup, but really about where the league has gone these days that, okay, we can kind of get by with okay players at that position as long as we have playmakers on the edge, basically, and playmakers in the defensive Mm -hmm. field. because it strikes me that that – Is a total and I'm fine with them changing strategy, by the way. I'm okay with it. Like don't keep doing the same stupid thing all the time. But it does seem like it's a complete right, it's a complete one eighty for them in terms of the way that Tannenbaum went about this.
0: I remember back in when they allowed I believe it was like the final six game, Perk always knows the number. How many rushing yards did they allow in like the final six game Perk? You could always throw that number at.
3: 900? 900,
0: yeah, like 998. It was just short of 1,000 yards they allowed rushing the year before they got to. I believe it was the 2014 season. And, 14, you know, Sue yeah. was supposed to be the answer. Sue was supposed to fix it all. And then they got rid of Jared Audrey. They got rid of, I think, Randy Starks. You know, they brought in – um who's that guy from, from Houston? Um, Earl yeah, Mitchell? God, I'm looking you, at his face. but Earl Mitchell. Earl Mitchell, yeah, you love you. Yeah. You had great respect for Earl Mitchell. Um, <laughs> y- y'all had a great relationship. They must have went fishing or something. Um, <laughs> but that defense, remember that year how bad it was? Then the defense got worse with Indom and Sue stopping the run. And we're like, mm-hmm. mm, wasn't he supposed to fix it? And you know, you and every year but last year, they were dismal against the run. So and last year they got better and they're like, ah, this ain't working. If this is the best that we could do, this This ain't working. So they scrapped it and they got more defensive ends. And this team can rush a wave of three starting defensive ends. I guess they're trying to follow the Philadelphia Eagles blueprint and just have them in there. What do they call that? They call it a um, the relay unit where they just keep handing the baton to the next guy, keep rushing, keep rushing, and keep rushing. Okay, that's cute, that's good, that's great. But if you can't stop the run, your opponent is going to be in third and six or third and five all damn game long. Then somebody got to get lucky. That's not a great way to build your defense, in my opinion. I'm a trench guy. Yes, your quarterback is important. Yes, your quarterback is the end all. Yes, your quarterback is the guy who's going to take your team wherever it's going to go. But if you don't have a respectable running game, if you can't protect the quarterback, if you can't stop the run, if you can't rush the quarterback – You don't have a chance in the NFL. And all of that that I spoke of gets done at the line of scrimmage. So if you build and fortify your offensive line, your quarterback will have a chance. If you build and you fortify your defense and you can stop the run like those Casey Rogers, Dolphins defense did, your team will be in great third down positions and situations. And then maybe the pressure will force a turnover or or force a negative play. That's how you build a team. Unfortunately, this, this age and generation and fantasy football and, and Madden players, they, 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 you know, they just want points, 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 offense throw, throw, throw. And, and the head coach of the Miami Dolphins is, is of this generation. But I don't believe that's how you build a winning team. And everything comes back. And you saw the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, they passed the ball a hell of a lot. They also run the ball effectively. They stopped the run. And they hounded the quarterback. They probably were the best defensive line in the NFL and one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. That wasn't a coincidence.
3: Yeah, I I think that the Indominus Sioux thing, Ethan raises an interesting point about the the value of that position in today's NFL and and the Dolphins have made a philosophical change, but I don't actually know the answer to that question. I guess we're going to find out the value of the defensive tackle in the the Dolphins' defense. I don't know NFL-wide. If I'm not mistaken, the Dolphins were 14th against the run last year, um, but what did it do for them? That's why I'm not sure of the value of the defensive tackle. There is value in stopping the run, however. We know that. But in Dominican Sue and just how much he's going to be missed, I really don't know. I really don't. So we're going to find out. I do think that, um, you know, one thing that's interesting about this defense, and and Omar, you know this, and I, I was shocked when I heard Adam Gay say this that he says that his defense is designed to attack, meaning you get a lead. And then you unleash that pass rush. Well, the problem is they never got a lead or they rarely got a lead and it didn't work that way. But you would think that the defense could also work like this. That's kind of the macro in the micro. You could say, okay, you stop them on first and second down and now you unleash them on third down and and you let the pass rush work that way. And, I don't know. You were 14th last year against the run, and I didn't see the the third down ferocity and and that pass rush like putting fear into people. So I kind of wonder, does this whole defensive philosophy work? We'll see again if the defensive tackle is is uh, going to be where in and Sue specifically is going to be missed and how much. But uh, you know the 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 whole defensive philosophy of unleashing this pass rush on teams. I, I, I just haven't seen it uh, in the first two years. So I, I wonder on the on the grand scheme of things about this defense and then specifically the absence of Endomic and Sue, um yeah, I, I, I have no idea, but I think it I think the defense is going to be worse and not better.
2: In the latest three yards of carry, July 18th, the Rookies report.
1: July 25th, the Vets report. Here. Here. Well, thank God. Thank God that this is coming up soon. Because it was getting weird around here uh, during the during the taint of the offseason. We're, you know, in between in between the last mini camp and the training camp. I mean, that, yeah. that is the worst time.
2: Yeah. yeah, like, what was best is like, and we love our listeners. But one listener, after our last podcast, just sent us, I guess you would call it a review. And it all said... What TF was that? (laughs) Listen to us every Thursday morning as football has returned to the five reasons sports network. So as, as we move out to the next thing that we wanted to get to, you mentioned stopping the run and how important the defensive line is going to be in that effort. I want to get to running the ball Now we talked about in the Adam Gay section as well, how he's not necessarily someone who's been built on running the ball, but look at, The two best victories of the year. Now, one of them was the comeback victory against Atlanta, but the other two were, for me, destroying Denver. They didn't have another blowout win for the entirety of the season, and beating New England at home on Monday Night Football. And if you look at those two games, Kenyon Drake, after he took over the job, he got 26 touches and over 100 yards rushing in the win over Denver, and he had 30 touches and close to 200 all-purpose yards in the game against New England. And so, Perk, do you feel like Kenyon Drake can be relied upon to be the number one every down running back for the Dolphins
3: he's still got to prove that to me he can he, he he has showed flashes that he can do it but he still you guys know my philosophy on the Dolphins uh you know I think they need to win with defense and a run game I like Ryan Tannehill I think he's an above average quarterback but I, he's not going to lead you to a Super Bowl victory he will be an integral part of it and I did say Super Bowl victory, but that's if you build with run and, 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 and uh pass like you know, like we saw with Seattle, uh like we saw last year with Philadelphia, like we saw with, with uh other teams, um, you know, the Giants and the Baltimore Ravens. I, I think that's what the Dolphins have to do. That so when you when you look at the running game, it, to me, is the biggest thing that can help your passing game, that can help Ryan Tannehill. That was the biggest thing that helped him in 2016, to me, was Jay Ajayi. So can Kenyon Drake do it? We're going to see. I, I think that he can be effective, but can he be like a Pro Bowl-level uh, running back? I, he's still got to show me that he can do everything associated with the job effectively, staying durable, running the ball, catching uh, pass receiving, keeping his body healthy, all of that stuff that goes into being a professional, the stuff that is kind of alluded to Monte Parker. Let's see if Kenyon Drake can do that for a whole
0: season. I think that he can, but I'm not sure. I think he has the potential, the talent. Uh, you know, when the J.H.I.E. trade happened, immediately I knew that this was Kenyon Drake's team. Not his backfield, not the running game. This is Kenyon Drake's team. I think he's right now the most talented player on their roster um, and offensively. Offensively, let me, let me be more specific. And I think he has the talent to hold up. I, the whole time J.J. was doing his stuff and looking dominant and looking impressive, I, I would say to people, and people get irritated by it, like, yeah, Kenya Drake could do that if he had the opportunity. Now, the problem was he didn't have the professionalism um, in his first two years to have the coaching staff's trust. And that's the reason why you saw Damian Williams start over him earlier in the season. Hell the opportunity that the, the week he had to produce and be win the starting job, he showed up for practice, for, 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 he showed up for a meeting late, um, allegedly. And that made coaches feel uncomfortable. So now does he get it? To me, that's the biggest question. Does he get it? And this organization, particularly Adam Gaze, he brought in Frank Gore who he knows from history with the 49ers, to teach this young back the way. Frank does everything the right way. Frank studies the right way. Frank interacts with the quarterback the right way. Frank interacts with the locker room the right way. Frank trains in the offseason the right way. You know, So he brought in that guy to set the example, to set the bar. Um, And hopefully that, that will show him what it takes. And if this works, if this mentorship works, you could be looking at one of the top five backs in the NFL.
1: As you guys are talking, uh, we've talked to so much about Jimmy Johnson on this podcast. And what strikes me is that what you guys were talking about with the defensive line is such a Jimmy Johnson philosophy that <laughs> to have multiple pass rushers like rotate in six, seven, eight guys. That, and when you talk about Gase's personality, it's very Jimmy Johnson. To me, this is where Gase and Jimmy Johnson are so different because – Jimmy just always wanted to find a back, right? Like a back to kind of lean on, and he even leaned on a guy like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who did not have great talent, right? But Jimmy was determined. I'm going to get this guy a thousand yards. He's going to be our bell cow, even though we have Dan Marino, albeit Dan at the end. But we're going to lean on Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. My thing with Gase is. And I guess the Ajayi thing two years ago answers this a little bit. But if Kenyon Drake just takes off, like, and I think it's possible, what Chris is talking about the last six games of last year, I think it's very possible that he sustains that, particularly if his work ethic is where it should be. And we've seen, like, this is one of the things that gets me about fantasy football, is every year in fantasy football, and I know this drives you crazy too, Omar, but every year in fantasy football, we see that everybody goes out and drafts the same damn running backs from the year before, right? And the top 10 list from the next season is always different than the season before because so much changes with that position. Guys get hurt, guys get old. But I do think that the six-game sample size we saw from Kenyon Drake is sustainable for at least this season. And so if Frank Gore is showing him the way and just sort of acting as a supplemental piece here in the offense, can you see a scenario where Adam Gase will turn it over to Kenyon Drake the way that he kind of did reluctantly to J.H.I. two years ago and say, We're just going to ride you. We're going to see how far you can take us. You can play on all three downs. You can block. You can catch. You can run. How do you think he would handle that?
0: I don't think he would handle it very well. He's already said, I'm not a one-back kind of guy. I'm a back-by-committee kind of guy. Also, I don't think he looks at Kenyon Drake as just a runner. I think he looks at him as a pass catcher at the backfield. I know for a fact that a lot of those receptions that Jarvis Landry was getting last year, those will become Kenyon Drake receptions. Those will become Albert Wilson receptions. Those will become um, um, Danny Amendola receptions. You're going to split all those into three, which means Kenyon Drake is probably going to catch about 30 passes. If you divide all those snaps up, you get 30, 30, 30. Um, so, uh, so you're going to see him catch a lot of basses in the backfield and then run after catch, which is where he made some of his best plays the last two seasons. So I I do believe he will not go away from him, but I do believe that, that he will ride him a little bit more. I think that kind of
3: gets into Gase's ego or his arrogance and does he want to win his way or does he want to win? Because if Kenyon Drake's legs do take over, we're, we're not just talking about yards from scrimmage, meaning uh, receptions and runs, but if, if if he does it like Jay Ajayi did it, would Adam Gase want to win that way? And I, I think that that's a big question. I, You know, Adam Gase is arrogant. I don't mean that in a bad way. I, I mean it like Omar said. It's a good competitive thing, but if Kenyon Drake delivers, the way he potentially could do you become a running offense because that allows you to win or do you want to force this pass 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 offense down to your team's throat that's your system so I, I you know if it gets to that I think it's going to be very telling about Adam Gates and and how he handles such a situation
2: Omar do you feel like Frank Gore is enough cover as a backup running back oh absolutely
0: I mean Frank's a Hopefully, put knock on wood, Hall of Fame running back, and hell, he was like what twenty yards shy of thousand yards last year, um, while being one of the few backs in the NFL, the top five back in the NFL yards after contact. There's Frank Gore since his freshman year at University of Miami. There's certain things that just don't don't go away, they don't they don't age, and that's vision. Uh, Don Solinger, who is probably my number one favorite coach ever to cover, I think he he is the best not not referring to head coaches, but position coaches, um, if you just look at the pedigree of the backs that he sent to the NFL before he was forced out of the University of Miami, um, it shows you that he is the greatest. And Frank is his favorite back. And Frank is his favorite back because of his lamps, because of his vision, and because of his ability to set read blocks and set them up and get you those four yards. When you have a back that can consistently get you four yards for 13 seasons, that's something that's definitely – um, dynamic, impressive, legendary. And I think that was probably one of my favorite moves that the Dolphins made this off season. So absolutely I do believe and have confidence, even if Kenny Drake goes down, I think Frank Gore can can run for a hundred yards probably six times this season and get close to a thousand yards.
1: I remember interviewing Frank Gore, um, his sophomore season at UM, and I was for a story about sort of his difficulties uh, with reading and learning and what he was fighting through at the time and everything he was going through with his mother. And I was like, incredibly impressed by him even then, like as a as a collegiate. Um, and, and so it's only grown over time. And, and you, t- you talk about the professionalism that he showed in San Francisco, the way that not only players felt about him, but the way the media felt about him out there and just sort of his general leadership, him the one that take the bullets all the time when things didn't go particularly well. I think it's a great, great addition. I agree with you, Omar. Like of all the additions they made this offseason, uh, that's if not my favorite, it's certainly one of my favorites. Before we move on here, and I've got a challenge to you guys I want to offer before we go. Uh, but before we move on, we can't talk about all this without getting into the line play because you've mentioned Pouncy here a couple times. Omar. Now, they've made two additions to the line uh, in Kilgore and in Josh Sitton. And I'm just curious because I know that that's something you study pretty carefully and to get Perk's view on this too. Like, will Kenyon Drake be better just because the line is. <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll have what?
0: polar opposite of you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know. That's why I, yep. I want to hit. This, this is, the, that's why I this hit is this. the area we get into the absolute <laughs> most fights nice about. Yep. I, I shouldn't have saved <laughs> this for yep. minute 53 of the podcast, but we'll. Uh, you know, we'll We'll start with Omar on this, uh, and I know you're going to give us an hour-long dissertation, but uh, should Ken and Drake be better this year just because the line may be better this year, or do you think it won't be better because they don't have Pouncy? Both are the proper answer
0: to that question, actually. Um, Let's not pretend like they upgraded with Daniel Kilgore. The 49ers signed him to a mediocre, a, a little tiny deal before free agency started went and upgraded their position and got, um, I forget who, which, which guy they got, uh, uh, as their center, and basically was like, here, Dolphins, take him. We don't want him. You, do you really think you're upgrading the position that way? When Mike Concey's sitting with a $6 million deal from the San Diego Chargers, despite the fact that you know he probably won't play all 16 games? so No, you didn't upgrade there. But what, what it's saying is the lack of importance at that position – just because the league is going away from that position. Um, well, except for the 49ers. It's all about your philosophy and your approach and how to best to spend your resources and your money. Um, my approach is don't collect more good players as opposed to getting rid of them. Unfortunately, the Dolphins have done the, opposite, the absolute opposite. Um, but I think with Josh Sitton's addition, you will, without a doubt, see improvement. You'll see Laramie Tunsil, Um, I'm a huge Jesse Davis fan. I think he's got 11 starts invested in him. I think you'll see him get to the next step uh, and become probably, probably one of the top performers next season or the year after that and see him emerge as one of the top guards in the league. So I have confidence in that. So I I really do believe that if if these tackles show the talent that they have as first-round picks, you should be able to have a very forceful offensive line, especially with the depth that you have as a backup. So, yes, without a doubt, it should help these running backs and, not more importantly, help the quarterback because the, the pocket will be more secure. And we know how Ryan Tannehill is, despite what Pro Football Focus wants to tell you, how great he is under pressure. Your eyes don't deceive you. He's not that great under pressure. Let me just say this: all this
3: offensive line talk is a bunch of bullshit Okay, I, I you know, the, the talk about they need to be better at guard and all this mess. What was the year they had uh, uh, two offensive linemen? Twenty fourteen, go to the Pro Bowl, Brandon Albert and Mike Pouncey. 2013, 2014, and, and what did it do for you? you you've had a, you've had an All Pro center. You've had an All Pro, two All Pro guards, and Richie Incognito and Mike Pouncey. You've had an All-Pro left tackle in Brandon Albert, and it's gotten you one playoff appearance since what, uh, 2008. I mean, stats have been down the last couple of years. hasn't really done a whole lot for your bottom line, right? I'm spending my money on dudes who touch the football, the running back, the tight end, the quarterback, the receiver. I I'm not just saying put five slappies out there for the offensive line, but Pretty much, and especially at guard, I'm not spending any money at guard, really. I mean, it, it, what what the hell difference is it going to make? Look at Dallas, like you, if, if you don't have your your big playmakers out there, you can have as good an offensive line as you want. They aren't getting you anywhere. Spend your money on the guys who touch the football. So, I, offensive line, better or worse, I, I just just be decent, okay? And give me time to get the ball in the hands of my playmakers. I'm not spending a bunch of money on you guys. Figure it out. But I'm not spending a bunch of money on O-Line. It's overrated. It's a bunch of bullshit.
2: And th- this isn't even from someone who uh, is of the Madden fantasy football generation. This is just uh, this is this is Perk on his island as usual. He's got a hatred for three hundred pound men. <laughs> <laughs> just- oh, oh, man, I'm not was, a uh, lot of money. And on I, and I remember we were doing radio, and that was like the the peak of the Dolphins awfulness, or I guess the valley of the Dolphins awfulness at guard. And we would talk about guards all the time, and we couldn't go to Perk because all he would say is they're just freaking guards. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Who? Oh, who's the guy from uh, that Denver got that you wanted the Dolphins to get for like four million a year? Evan Mathis. E- yeah, Evan Mathis, Right. I, I mean, come on. I come on, man. I, a, a, a freaking guard. And I, I know guards are getting paid right now. That's fine. But it, it, I, I think the Dolphins did a pretty decent job as far as doing the two for one for Pouncy. That yeah, get me get me more bodies, not not more high priced bodies. Get me more bodies. We'll figure it out. I, I, I like the approach. I, I, I do think Pouncy will be missed, but I don't think he'll be missed as much as and Sioux on the other side of the ball as far as, uh, as, as, far as linemen go. Uh, you can make up for that Pouncy loss, and I, I think they will, but get the ball in the hands of your playmakers. That's way more important than building this mammoth, expensive Pro Bowl offensive
1: line. Perk didn't Gates go at you about this? Yeah, 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 I did, but
0: you know, I I think that Gates pretty
3: they well agree they, with fundam- me. They, yeah. Yeah. they fundamentally yeah
0: fundamentally agree. He, yes, I'm yeah. the one who always has the with Gates. Like he, he called I shouldn't say this, but um
1: Yes yeah, it. It's I, a it's it, a podcast somewhere nobody's gonna hear it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when they signed Josh Sitton, I got a call. Now we leave me the f- alone about guards, and I was like. All right, bye. <laughs>
1: Uh, well that'll that'll increase the download so now people will hear it so we'll uh, we'll use that uh, with with the messaging here but i i knew that would get you guys going. all right be- before, before we let you go here um as you know we're going to be having the some guys on from the other papers um the enemy although i guess these days newspapers are all in this kind of in the same
0: place. we all in this together baby yeah, we all in, in this together
1: you're, you're yeah. in this together so it's not it's not quite as fierce as it used to be so we're going to have barry and beasley on together and we're going to have joe and and Jason on, so Jason could talk about kickers for an hour. But, um, but, <laughs> but, 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 but with, without without denigrating anybody else, uh, just give us your pitch here. You guys got got thirty seconds each. Why should people check out the Sun Sentinels Dolphins coverage this season? Oh, do I go, go ahead, We're,
3: we're going to have the most flavor. We're going to have the liveliest coverage. The best video. Y'all know how me and Omar like to go at it on video. We're going to have the best videos. We're going to have the best stories whether it's Omar talking about offensive line or me writing about quarterbacks, because y'all know Omar hates writing about quarterbacks. And Ryan Omar not write about quarterbacks. So, yeah. <laughs> no, he does not. That's another reason we work well together. But yeah, you're going to have the best coverage, wall-to-wall, up and down, big and small, ridiculous and serious from the Sun Sentinel that you will find in South Florida.
0: I, all I will say is when training camp comes, you know what we do. We, we, we make it seem like you're there every day. That's what you get from the Sun Sentinel.
2: Brilliant. Chris Perkins, check him out on Twitter, at Chris Perk. Omar Kelly, who very reluctantly got on Twitter, but now is not (laughs) very reluctant to tweet, at Omar Kelly on Twitter. They both cover the Miami Dolphins for the Sun Sentinel. Check it out at sunsentinel.com. Thanks for the time, guys. This is great.
0: Thanks, gentlemen. Anytime, guys.
1: Hey, this is Gary and Thorne, host of the Fantasy on 5 podcast, part of the 5 Reasons Sports Network, letting you know that your fantasy football needs are covered this season. My co-host David Ganos and I will be leading you hand-in-hand through your draft and right up to Championship Sunday, offering our insight into the world of fantasy football. We'll also be inviting some of our friends from Sports Illustrated, Yahoo, and DraftKings. Look for us Tuesdays and Thursdays, starting in July, wherever you currently listen to your favorite Five Reasons Network podcasts.
0: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator